from the EPR Creation Studio. This is more Hot Takes, another Hot Takes edition from the Unconquered podcast. This time after a 16-13 to loss to open the season against Georgia Tech. And by now, Florida State fans are used to starting seasons with a loss and being irrelevant before the season really even begins. So nothing really new here, but uh, a lot to get frustrated by. A few things to be encouraged by. And we'll try to give you a healthy dose of all of the above. As always, this show brought to you by EPR Creations, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Lewis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, and Garage Makeovers in Broward and Palm Beach County. And you guys will once again have to pardon my voice as I have been doing so much voice work lately that I just don't have much left. So... I'm going to go ahead and give it my best shot this evening anyway. So let's go ahead and get to it. First thing I want to really emphasize in this is that despite the result, I actually think that this was noticeably a better coach team than what we've seen in the last couple of years. I think you saw that particularly in the special teams, which is something that the preseason previews said to expect. Uh, I mean, if you recall, Going back through the preseason previews, said, look, the offense is not going to be more efficient than it was last year. It's very unlikely. You had a very good offensive staff last year. You lost your best and most explosive player. Uh, You don't have a whole lot of upgrades. Basically, you're looking at bringing back on offense everybody that was there last year except for your best player, and you're not really getting upgrades where you're replacing guys. So... Basically, what you saw in offense was kind of what to be what would what would be expected in that regard. I think it was actually less. Uh, I mean, I thought it would be a rough year coming in on offense. I thought this was actually even a little rougher in the opener than I expected. But at the same point, one thing that we've been trying to emphasize on this podcast from the beginning is this is a first year of a head coach in probably the worst year to be a first year head coach in memory. So it looked like they really just did not have, and particularly they, by they, I mean the quarterback in particular, just didn't have a full grasp of what they're being asked to do uh, all the time. And uh, those results were reflected. I don't think that they were able to run everything that they wanted and certainly weren't able to run everything that they wanted very well. Uh, And we'll, we'll get to that when we start breaking down units, but Like I said, I thought the special teams demonstrated uh, a lot more attention to detail. The organization of this staff, uh, I think you could see that throughout in that there were uh, the substitution patterns were sensible and were consistent. I mean, we're not talking about taking timeouts to to deal with not enough players on the field on punt punt return, those sorts of things. Uh, I mean, doing doing the things that you should do well, doing those well. And then uh, on top of that, three blocked kicks, solid coverage units all night. Returns were solid. Travis J came close to breaking a couple. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think overall this was this was a step forward on the coaching front. Uh, I thought that they, as as expected, they called the offense through most of the game to try to minimize the chances of of hurting themselves with interceptions and fumbles and that sort of thing, and. You know, they were they they went slower pace for most of the game. They went and they up tempoed a couple times and actually got some beneficial things out of that. But overall, 
they did kind of what what we expected on that in in the sense of playing to uh, let the defense and special teams win this game. That's what they tried to do. And unfortunately, as the game got real tight late, they did turn the ball. A couple key turnovers ultimately led to the to this game being a loss. You had an interception that led to a field goal on a negative four-yard drive, and then you had another fumble. You had a fumble that, that also led to a field goal. And, you know, that was, that was the difference. Uh, I thought that early on, the play calling demonstrated that they understood Blackman's weaknesses and they tried to get him into the flow of the game well. Uh, and early on, it looked like they were, they, they were really going to be able to, to get him comfortable. But uh, I, I think that that sort of wore down as the game went on and Georgia Tech settled in defensively and they just didn't have a whole lot of answers. And Blackman, uh, honestly, there were a number of times where it just looked like he was short-circuiting back there or what, what Jimbo Fisher used to call rat trapping. Uh, they'd call four verts, for example. And that's a situation where a lot of the time you just have to pick the matchup that you like and make the, make the proper throw there. And he just was paralyzed back there and he had plenty of time to throw most of the night, but he just couldn't make decisions. And at some point you have to get the ball out and you have to make the proper decision. And he, he was short circuiting back there. And at a certain point they, they had to make some of those calls in order to have a, in order to basically get a chance to get in position to score to win. And again, some short circuiting, uh, you combine that with some of the issues that they had up front and there you go. Uh, I also can't get through this introductory part without talking about how much I hated seeing Kando get hurt, especially with an illegal block. And by the way, they had that exact same illegal block on, uh, Janarius Robinson later on, uh, hit him almost exactly the same area. It just was not quite in at the, at the angle that, uh, that it hit Kando in terms of weight on the ground and all of that. But that's something that that H back just clearly does. And that's a dirty play. And I just hate seeing Kando go down like that. I really hope he's okay. Um, he's a guy that's done everything right. And you, you wish the best for, and then, you know, just in terms of the, the impact on Florida state, I mean, in the preseason uh, preview, one of the things I talked about is that he's one of the guys, he's one of the couple guys on this team that you absolutely can't lose because they just don't have any depth behind him. They don't have quality depth. And he's a guy that really is in position potentially for an All-American season if he's if he's healthy. He's, you know, he's that quality of a, uh, of a talent. And when he went out, it really impacted Florida State's defense. For one, they were able to run to that defensive end side. They were able to get the edge a lot the rest of the game. And I don't think that they would have been able to do some of the outside run stuff, getting that edge with Kando on the field. So, yeah, that's um, it's it's a tough break in terms of the impact on Florida State's defense, not just in this game, but beyond that, if it if it's a long term thing. But it's just much worse. I feel terrible for Kando because I mean, again, you're looking at a man that's done everything right, and uh, he just is not. He's been bitten by the injury bug, and not in ways that are. You know, this is a guy that is brittle, but you look at him getting his legs taken out the way that he did last year. And then this one, it's just, these are bad breaks. And uh, yeah, I just hope that ultimately it's just a mild sprain and that he's back on the field soon and uh, is able to demonstrate that he is fully healthy and and, uh, prove that he belongs in the NFL so he can make some money. But, But yeah, 
Let's go ahead and get to talking about offense, defense. I'm not going to talk too much about special teams uh, beyond what I already did. I, I think that you know they they showed that they know what they're doing on the, in that, and that's going to ultimately lead to real positives down the line. Uh, offensively, like I said, I expected this to be a rough year. That's something I sort of warned everybody on, but this was rougher than expected. I mean, the, the truth is that Cam Akers isn't walking through that door. And when you look at what Florida State did, you look at LaDamian Webb, 13 carries for 39 yards, 3.0 yards per carry. Corbin, six carries for 18 yards, 3.0 yards per carry. Then he had eight eight uh, pass catches, led the team with 55 yards in, in receiving on eight catches. So, you know, showed some stuff there. And again, that's one of the things that uh, Norvell's offense is going to do a lot is throw the football to the backs, especially when they're having trouble r- establishing the run. They'll, they'll find ways to get them in space. And they did that. And that was where a lot of the best offense came from tonight. Uh, and then Jordan Travis, six carries for 39 yards. But, I mean, they just, they did not run the ball well enough. I mean, you look at 3.1 yards per rush, that's pretty comparable to last year. And it's just not, you're not going to win a lot of games that way, especially when you don't have a quarterback that scares people. And the, the fact that they have a quarterback that doesn't scare people is a big reason why they can't run it. And quite frankly, I was surprised by how much they chose not to abandon the run, especially in the second half. I mean, 35 rushing attempts on the night. A few of those, about five of those were scrambles, uh, maybe six of them. So, you know, pretty, pretty sizable chunk of, uh, of run in the football, given the lack of success that they had it. I mean, they didn't abandon it. 23 carries in the second half for 1.8 yards per carry in the second half. They didn't abandon the run. They just sucked at it. And, uh, you know, that's, you could see in the first half, they were over four yards a carry. That's what you hope for. They, they were doing, all, they were doing all right, but, Four offensive linemen missed time in this game due to getting dinged up, and they were all the good ones. Smith, Lucas, Washington, and Love Taylor. Those are the guys that, you know, out of all the guys that you don't want to go down, those are the those are the four, particularly Washington and Love Taylor. And frankly, when Love Taylor went out and Chaz Neal came in for one play, that was a key strip sack by the guy that he's blocking. And the fact is that Florida State just does not have any backup offensive tackles right now that they can trust. And if one of those guys is off the field, they're they're in real trouble. And you can criticize, I think that's one of the couple things that you can criticize Mike Norvell for in this game is uh, the decision to run a drop back there and trust Chaz Neal to, to block that D-end one-on-one. Uh, I think that was a mistake. That's something that I think he would own up to as a mistake at this point to say, yeah, we should have we done something else uh, that instead of, instead of taking that shot. Uh, but, and, and actually they ran a four verts again and Terry was open down the left sideline, had a real chance to, to get a big play there. If he'd had just a beat longer, although he probably still would have held it too long. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at that, neither offensive tackle can go down and both of them miss time at different points in this game. And you just, they don't, they don't have good enough backups there. And those guys were actually okay when they were out there. I mean, Washington and Love Taylor were actually did reasonably well on the night overall. Uh, Georgia Tech's defensive line isn't very good, particularly missing three guys that were out uh, tonight, but or this afternoon. Uh, but um, yeah, just I thought the offensive line overall was was a little better than I expected in, in a lot of respects. But uh, but again, it's hard to know, hard to measure that against Georgia Tech since Georgia Tech last year was not very good up front, and they're probably not that great this year. So. Uh, it's hard to know how to grade that overall. Um, there were also those key drops. Uh, Terry dropped a touchdown 
if he catches that pass and takes it home, that's that's a win for Florida State on the night. Thompson, Warren Thompson, I, 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 something we talked about in the preseason, uh, is that he has he's had a bit of a Keith Gavin disease since he got on campus, and we saw that tonight. He had three just brutal drops, and one for a first down that would have put them in position to score a touchdown instead of a field goal. That was the third down conversion that was not a difficult catch. He just has to make the catch and keep the ball from hitting the ground. And uh, they're in position with three cracks at it from about the six-yard line. Have a real good chance of scoring a touchdown there instead of a field goal. Instead, they kick the field goal and wind up losing by a field goal. So uh, also the two other drops that I can remember were each for key first downs. One of them would have been a big, would have been a really big play. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's just not helping when you're having your best players like Terry dropping a touchdown. And in his defense, from what I understand, Terry lost his grandmother in the morning. He found out that his grandmother had passed away uh, just before the game. And, you know, his head was almost almost certainly somewhere else. So, I mean, you, you have to uh, have to feel for him on that. And, you know, it just there were times where it didn't appear that he was quite quite in sorts, as it were. He seemed out of sorts a good bit in, in that game. And there's good reason for that, I think. And then we get to the to the biggest issue here, and that's Blackman. And I'm just sad to see it because I mean, you root for the for the guy, but old habits reared their head after that second drive when that ball was dropped, and uh, there was just even a little hint of adversity. He didn't respond well, and then he, you know, after throwing that interception, I thought he cratered. Uh, he just never really recovered after that. I liked how Norvell coached him. Norvell was calm with him, said, look, and I, I watched him walk over and say, hey, hey, it's, it's okay. It's okay. It's over. And try to get him to, you know, stop rap trapping and try to get him to move on and move into the moment again. But he, he just struggled with the rest of the night. And, um, you know, that his, the patented uh, pump and hesitate in the pocket you know, look at something and go to pull the trigger and then pump and, and hold the ball back and then hesitate. That patented move is still was still there. And uh, there were too many times where there were guys open and he just held it too long. Uh, one of Warren Thompson's drops was at least half on Blackman simply for holding on to the ball so long that, that there was that it was a contested catch instead of a uh, an uncontested catch as it would have been had he thrown on time. Uh, so, you know, that's a significant thing. And then the fourth down scramble, where he he fumbled, uh, eighty three was wide open on a curl from the from the slot on the left side, right over the middle. All he had to do was keep his eyes upfield and pull the trigger there, and you got a first down, and it's an easy first down uh, as he was stepping up into the pocket. And again, he had protection there; he had enough protection to step up and make that decision instead of stepping up and then deciding to run it. And he's just not the athlete to to be able to run and get that first down from you know what. Uh, I think third and seven or fourth and seven there uh, would have been an easy throw, but he's not fast enough, not athletic enough to get uh, seven yards in that situation. And he's got to know that he's got to know he's got to look for the, that extra, extra beat, drop that ball off on the, on the curl and you live to see another play, but just missed guys repeatedly. Uh, I did think, you know, on a, on the plus side, he had more time to throw than expected most of the game. There were a couple of really bad ones, but you know, you're going to get that I mean, Sam Howell got that same thing from a very, very uh, talented offensive line in Chapel Hill today. Uh, you know, he he got hit a couple times from guys that came into the backfield quickly. You're going to get that at quarterback. But by and large, I thought Blackman had plenty of time to throw most of the game. 
Now, again, you got a grade on the curve because Georgia Tech's defensive line isn't great, and they were missing three defensive linemen on top of that, including the guy that they're expecting to be their best pass rusher. So that's a bit of a yikes, given that Florida State ultimately was not able to uh, to run right through what was kind of a backup offense or defensive line for them. Uh, that's not good. When you got Miami coming to town, or when you're going to Miami next, that is, uh, that's not that's not encouraging. Uh, but really, the the big problem is, and this is the uncomfortable truth, is that Florida State has simply not had enough, had good enough personnel at the quarterback position since 2014. I mean, you think about it, going all the way back to when they had to get uh, Golson on campus in on, in 2015 because it was Golson and, and McGuire. Since that year, since 2015, they've not had, they've just not had the personnel to play at the Florida State level at the quarterback position. And that's, it's been a recruiting problem. They just have not had the players. And, you know, this is a situation where it's doubly painful because a guy that was a Florida State commit was that much better at the quarterback position. I mean, Jeff Sims was far better despite the couple really bad mistakes, he made three really bad mistakes. One that was a, a dropped interception. It would have been a pick six from, uh, from uh, the linebacker whose name is escaping me at the moment, linebacker from Miami. Uh, but if, uh, if they had, if you get that pick six, Florida state wins, but you know, you got the two interceptions to uh, Asante Samuel, and then you get the one that was dropped. Even with those three really bad plays overall, he played better than Blackman. Blackman had three turnovers himself and very costly turnovers and was not uh, as poised or uh, consistent through the rest of the game as what you got from the true freshman Sims. And like I said, that hurts because Sims was committed to Florida State and was still interested in coming to Florida State until Norvell took over. And then, you know, obviously Norvell went another direction there and then, you know, gets bitten in the first game by a guy that ultimately... uh, Florida State, as far as I understand it, passed on. Now, at the same point, this it's a little bit unfair because you don't know if, you know, is it Sims that gets that breaks a collarbone in that first scrimmage instead of Purdy? You know, if you if you bring Sims in, does is he is he out there or did did he get hurt? And this is where I think ideally Florida State would have started Chubba Purdy in this game. Uh, but he got hurt in the scrimmage. And I know I've seen a lot of people criticize that, you know, you should have had your quarterbacks in, in green jerseys there. You know, it's your, it's your own fault for getting your quarterback hurt in a scrimmage and you shouldn't be having, saw one person tweet out something along the lines of, yeah, you know, you have your, your kid fresh out of high school playing live, live scrimmage with college football, with, you know, real, real college defense. And then he gets hurt. That's your own, your own fault, uh, coach. And to some degree that's right. But at the same point, you're going to, He's, he's about to be playing with real college players if he's playing in the games anyway. So he's going to get hit like that. And you've got to get him used to, if you're going to actually play him, you better get him used to actually getting hit. You better get him used to playing against a defense that's actually going to hit him and get him used to live bullets as much as possible so that he's ready when you put him out there. That's what you're trying to do. Uh, so it does make sense. And again, if it happens in scrimmage in the scrimmage, it could just as easily happen in the first or second series of plan of plan live in, in a game. So you can't you can't live in fear in that respect. Now, once a guy has had enough live rounds and, and you know, or if you're expecting to redshirt him or whatever, it makes sense to put the green jersey on him. But 
you know, to me, I, that's not a, that's not a decision that I have a problem with. It's, you know, unfortunate and it is, you know, carrying forward a lot of Florida state's injury luck in recent years. But, um, but yeah, that's, I would very seriously give consideration to giving Tate Rotomaker some extra reps in practice over the bye week and, uh, and see what happens. You know, is he, is he really a guy that may be ready? Maybe, maybe more, maybe it may be better to go with him against Miami and just go full youth movement in that re- regard, uh, simply because you kind of know what you have with Blackman, uh, or do you stick it out a little bit longer? Either way, I think you ultimately need to get the quarterback. You need to get the young quarterbacks in the game, uh, sooner than later. And when Purdy comes back, uh, I think you really need to seriously consider making sure that he gets a lot of time late in the year. Uh, this is something that you can't go into 2021 with, the the quarterback situation the way that it is you've got to have some you've got to have both the young guys make make sure that they get some snaps uh but you know it amplifies the problem that you have at quarterback when you have such a weakness at offensive tackle and then a weakness such a weakness at tight end that you can't help your tackles so i mean these things compound one another they're like force multipliers if you have bad offensive if you have a bad quarterback and you have bad offensive tackles or, you know, no depth at offensive tackle, and you don't have tight ends, enough tight end depth to actually help your offensive tackles much. It's just, it's, it's a force multiplier at each spot. And, you know, you, when you don't, when you're not good up front, if you have a great quarterback, your, your, your front can look a lot better. If you have a, a shaky quarterback, but you, but you can run block and you can, you know, give your quarterback all day to throw, well, you know, you can run block well enough that you're going to get favorable coverages and your quarterback's going to look better. So it, it all works together. And right now, Florida State just has the for, force multipliers working in the wrong direction. And a lot of that's just flat out personnel and offense. And they're going to they're going to have some some difficulties on the offensive side of the ball all year. I mean, that's just the, the reality. Um, I think there will be times where they have a lot more success than what we saw tonight. But I mean, there's going to be there's going to be a lot of growing pains on the offensive side of the ball as they learn to play up to the standard that Norvell's offenses have played in in past. And again, it's going to be hard because just personnel wise, they don't have what they need. And you know, that's unfortunate. All right. We're going to go ahead and shift over to the defensive side. Going to go a little quicker here, but the defense, you know, when you give up 16 points in a game, you expect to win. Simple as that. Now that said, the defense was not quite as productive as the 16 points suggests, because again, you block two kicks, three kicks, that is block a extra point as well. So two, two field goals and, a, and an extra point, uh, you know, you get, you only had 11 drives in the game. I mean, you think about during the Bryles era, typically you'd have about eight, you'd have about 16 drives, 15, 16 drives. So, I mean, you're facing fewer, fewer, uh, fewer possibilities there. But fact is the, the, what I look at in terms of the defense here, Georgia Tech had 11 drives and zero three and outs. Defense has to be better than that. If you're going to play to win with with defense and special teams, you better be getting three and outs. Florida State had, uh, what was it, um, two, three, uh, two three and outs. Uh, so, you know, actually not as bad as it could have been on offense. Two three and outs. But... <laughs> Wow. I mean, just 11 drives from Georgia Tech, and this is not an offense that, you know, should scare you. Zero three and outs. Now, that said, I mean, it was the right strategy in a lot of respects. I mean, we talked about this in the pregame. Force Georgia Tech to drive down the field and be consistent with the freshman wide receiver or the freshman quarterback and unproven wide receivers. 
do it. But then once they show that, once that they show that, you know, that, that kid's actually throwing it pretty well, he's, they're actually doing pretty well there. You got to start tightening up there. And, and they never really tightened up the way that they should have. And you look at scoring drives, Georgia Tech managed to do that. Scoring drives of 11 for 74 for a field goal. 14 plays for 80 yards and a touchdown. Eight plays for 72 yards and a touchdown. <sighs> that, um, and then the other, the, the final one, four, four plays for negative four yards and a field goal. But you're looking at three drives of over 72 yards, eight plays, 11 plays and 14 plays. This defense is too talented to, or at least supposed to be too talented to let that stuff happen. And honestly, for as good as they're supposed to be, the defensive tackle sure didn't show up much. Didn't generate nearly enough havoc. When you think about Marvin Wilson comes in all world, all everything, getting tons of attention in the offseason, three tackles, one quarterback hurry. Almost invisible. Cooper, four tackles, one pass broken up, you know, sticking his hand up. That's it from the defensive tackle position. <laughs> I mean, wow. Um, you mean to tell me that all the talent that you've got at the defensive tackle, uh, one, one tackle actually from uh, True Thompson, one other. All the talent that you've got at that defensive tackle position, and that's all you're getting? Only six tackles for loss on the night? All of them from linebackers and DBs. Defensive line got zero tackles for loss. One sack, which was shared between Gaynor and Woody the third. That's that's not getting it done. And you scheme-wise, you're turning those guys loose to get, get some of that stuff done, and they're just not doing it. At a certain point, you got to point the finger at, at Wilson and Cooper and that group at defensive tackle, and you got to say, you guys are supposed to be the leaders on this defense. You, you've taken that role. You're, you're a vocal leader. Where's the play? Where's the disruption that you're supposed to be causing? What, where, are you, where are you showing that you're, that you're the, uh, the high draft pick that you're supposed to be? I'm not seeing it. And, you know, l- last year you could blame that they went into that tight stuff, the tight front stuff, and that scheme-wise it, it did not really suit what they were doing, you know, a lot some of the personnel as well. Now, Cooper should be able to two-gap two as much as you want because of size. And, you know, Wilson should be able to sum too. But, you know, maybe those guys just weren't comfortable in what they were being asked to do. But there's no excuse in what they're doing now. You've just got to be better. Got to be better at the defensive tackle position. If you're going to hang your hat there and say, look, our defensive tackles are as good as any in the country and we're going to let those guys eat, they've got to be better. And they, they, they just were not very... They were not disruptive tonight. They weren't bad. But... When it's when it's third and two or fourth and two, you can't give up two yards straight up the the B gap. When you've got those defensive tackles on the field, those defensive tackles are supposed to prevent that. Can't give up a gap for two yards on third and two, when you've got all world defensive tackles. That's what you're supposed to be able to hang your hat on. You they can't do. And they did it. So. And obviously, Kando's absence hurt a lot in terms of being able to set the edge against the run. That was a big factor. But still, you've got to get more, more out of your defensive tackles, and then the edge guys have to, do, have to do a better job fundamentally on some of that stuff anyway. Now, I will say the defense rotated a lot of players. The, the um, participation chart's a little messed up, so I, I don't have all of that. But 
23 guys on defense, from what I can tell, recorded stats. And I think the overall participation on the defensive side was in the high 20s, somewhere like 28 area. That's a lot of players, especially since a lot of those guys were playing even in the first half. So, I mean, that's a, that's a plus right there. And, and I think, again, they are looking to the future with this, saying we need to just continue to develop depth. We need to continue to play a lot of players. We're also, they're also going to find out who can play, who they can trust. But they're going to continue to to play a lot of guys. I think that helps you a lot long-term. But we saw the difference that a quarterback can make when the when the defense faced a Georgia Tech team that was really offensively terrible last year. They looked light years better with Sims at quarterback than they did against Air last year. I mean, Sims, 7.9 yards per attempt, one touchdown, two, two interceptions, 133.1 passer rating against that defense. That's more than respectable. It's not great, but for a true freshman, that's pretty dang good. And, you know, Georgia Tech was then able to stay ahead of the chains all night. I mean, they, they were five of six on fourth and short. Five of six. They had six fourth and shorts. And then you've got all-world defensive tackles, and you're going to give up five of six on fourth and short? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to point the finger right there on defense. And Georgia Tech was able to stay ahead of the chains all night. Like I said, 5.2 yards per play on first down. Florida State, by the way, is 4.5 yards per play on first down. Not terrible, actually. And 4.0 yards per carry from, from Georgia Tech. Again, if you if you have elite defensive tackles, that's not supposed to happen. I did think that the defense looked much better coached in the back seven. Both of the interceptions by Asante Samuel were the result of proper pattern matching. And 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 cover uh, route recognition, and you know he's a smart guy. But I saw that from from a lot of guys on that defense all night, where they there are a couple times that they were just a, a step slow or just a little bit slow reacting. But you can tell that they're actually being coached properly uh, in terms of route recognition, in terms of pattern matching, and some of that. And that's 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 going to help. Uh, you could see the same thing at linebacker. Uh, there are a few things that still need to be cleaned up. But I thought overall on the on the back seven they looked like they were they were much better coached. I I did think that the Jerry and Jones uh, miscue on the on the touchdown on the Georgia Tech touchdown there that one was one where you know he he did not do that the way that you that you coach a guy to do it and paid for it. But uh, we'll we'll see how that gets corrected. So I will withhold a little bit in terms of uh, of how they're handling downfield coverage in terms of, of, of coaching that and demanding players do that right. But overall, I thought they were better coached and showed that in the back seven tonight. Um, but still, just not enough havoc up front. I thought the defense was just not physical enough. And there's just no killer instinct on this team. And, and you, when you don't have leaders that have a killer instinct and don't respond to adversity, then your team is not going to have that killer instinct. And I just, I don't think Florida State they still don't have any evidence of the leadership to, to be able to do that stuff. So overall, I, I thought this was a more disciplined team. Uh, it's a team that I'm comfortable with where they're going with the direction coaching-wise of what I saw. But they just don't have a quarterback. They have still some holes elsewhere on offense that if you have a quarterback, you can hide. If you don't have a quarterback, you can't hide the holes that they have. Everything compounds itself. Uh, only seven penalties for 50 yards. 
That's actually given first game of under a new coach and a new system, not having had spring, all that other stuff. That's pretty good. But man, the couple that they had were killers and, you know, key spots. And that's kind of what you expect, but still really frustrating. And then they lost the turnover battle, despite the fact that they clearly called this game trying to avoid losing the turnover battle. Lost two out of the three fumbles. Blackman lost two fumbles and then threw an interception and a bad interception at that. And yeah, as far as I'm concerned, you just keep playing lots of players. You have to start being willing to take the lumps this year. You just look at what you've got personnel-wise and you say, yeah, you know, we're going to keep shuffling guys in. And if we're going to lose, we're going to lose this year. That's what you choose to do. Keep making sure that you uh, get it, get a look at as many players as you can in different situations and give guys experience and, and keep working. And like I said, I think the young quarterbacks are going to need some snaps sooner than later. I just, I, I feel bad for them, but I, I don't, I don't see ultimately what you need to see from Blackman in terms of, uh, of understanding what he needs to do at the quarterback position. And I wonder how much is essentially PTSD and the fact of having been in four offenses in four years. It's just really hard. And, you know, ultimately, if this team's going to have any success, the program's going to need a quarterback that can play at a Florida State level. I mean, heck, they need a quarterback who can play at a Georgia Tech or UNC level. And if you've got that, if they've got a quarterback who's playing at that level, then they'll be fine. But uh, they're going to have to find a way to get decent quarterback play in order to have success. Otherwise, you're looking at a losing season. I mean, seven and four was my initial projection. And I, I said if they beat both Georgia Tech and Miami, I'd adjust that up to eight and three. We'll see what happens against Miami. But right now, you kind of have to start adjusting that down a little bit. And uh, because you lose to Georgia Tech team that really you are more talented than, and you know you'll you'll you're going to need a lot of improvement to beat a, beat a very beatable Miami team, but you're going to need a lot of improvement to do it. But I think there's a lot to be encouraged by in terms of the level of coaching and organization that we saw. But they're going to need to they're going to need to actually manage to show some proof of concept on the field in order to up the recruiting game, and uh, that's that's not going to be easy as long as you've got the personnel situation that you've got. I do think that there are a couple of other critiques, criticisms that you could make uh, that are valid criticisms of Mike Norvell's approach in the fourth quarter. Uh, one is that I thought they could have gone more, ur- they could have played with more urgency on that first last drive, if you will, uh, where they ultimately uh, failed to get the fourth and six. I thought they were going too slow there. They needed to go faster to make sure that they would get another... Ideally, you want to get three more opportunities from the time that you take over the ball there. And they they took things slow and uh, burned off about, I think it was four minutes or so of the clock there. And there's just too much to burn and uh, wound up maybe long... Actually, I think it was longer that they burned off the clock there. Uh, and that's they either way, they burned off way more than they needed to. And, and it cost them in terms of just not having another crack at it that they might've gotten otherwise. Uh, so that was a factor. And I also think, I, I thought it was a little peculiar that they chose not to go for the long field goal down three points, 16, 16, 13. And that would have been about a 50 yarder if I remember right. And I, I, you already had your kicker make one from 53 and yeah, that one was from straight on and this one's from the hash and he missed badly from the hash from, you know, a good bit shorter than that in the first half. So, you know, maybe you just know your kicker. Maybe you, you, you know that your kicker just doesn't have that range from that spot, but 
given the way that you're playing on offense, even if he's got like a 15% chance of making it, it might be better than your chance of getting that fourth and fourth and six or fourth and seven. Uh, and you know, what was it? Fourth and because it was going to be a fourth and three. So must've been a fourth and eight. So getting that fourth and eight, the likelihood of getting that compared to, uh, you know, 15% of maybe 15% chance of getting that kick. I, I think you're better off kicking the field goal there and trying to tie the football game. But, uh, and I, I think that's a valid criticism. I think it's a mistake. I think Norvell, when he goes back and self scouts this, that's one that he should chalk up as a, as a miss, as a mistake on his part and, uh, hopefully learn from it and, uh, move forward in terms of game management on that side of, of things down the line. Either way, I'm very interested. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens in the bye week and against Miami. And I am concerned that, you know, Norvell has, has really preached discipline and uh, effort and all the things that you want to want to get in there correctly as a, as a coach team first. And, you know, the, you get the rewards for the kind of preparation you do. And if you don't start, if you don't see wins on that, you wonder, you know, how well he'll be able to hold on to the, trust in the um, buy-in of his team, but, uh, you know, but without, without any success, I think they're going to need to have some success at some point for, for him to con- maintain the buy-in. But, uh, but we'll see. That's something that I'm, I'm very curious to see how that goes. And I'm very curious to see if they're able to find some things to fix, be able to get some things in order between now and the Miami game and find, find a way to, uh, to get some positives moving forward and to, steal a win or two that they really shouldn't get and, uh, and, and get the momentum moving in the right direction. This was a real opportunity given that you're starting with a a Georgia tech team that's in a similar spot as you and has a ton of weaknesses and all of that. This is a game you should have won and, uh, things makes things a lot harder since you didn't. And, uh, now you're going to have to be fighting a little bit uphill to, um, maintain the buy-in of your team and to continue to recruit the kind of players that you're going to need to be able to flip this team and, and, and improve things to where it needs to be at Florida state. We'll go ahead and wrap it there. It's been a little bit longer than usual, uh, hot takes edition, but a lot to discuss. And, uh, we'll, we've got a bye week coming up. There'll be a couple things I'll break down. I'll break down some stuff on Patreon. Uh, probably do a couple shows between now and Miami and we'll, uh, I will, I will talk to you all then. This has been the unconquered podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and The Unconquered Podcast Shop, which features stickers, magnets, and other Seminole gear. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. Special thanks to those above the bleach numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. I made this.